this morning we could enjoy the blue sky and the freshness. Now first we could enjoy waking up because uh, many people went to bed yesterday with thoughts about today, with plans, and they didn't wake up in this life. So the first thing was, wow, here am I again. Amazing. How did that happen? Yes, and then we could enjoy that there was water in the tap and the electricity worked. We could enjoy that the cat was still alive. Or, or whoever else uh, shares your living place with you. Maybe you woke up with someone. Then we could enjoy some food. And also we didn't forget to enjoy not to have a toothache. <laughs> and if you have a toothache, you could enjoy that you don't have a headache. <laughs> But above all, all of that, uh, we could enjoy coming here and looking at a picture of the Dalai Lama and knowing that we will uh, look at this ancient, ancient text that we uh, are in this lineage, going back to the Buddha. So, as I said yesterday, there's a lot of joy around us. And sometimes it takes a reminder and some, some strong intention to shift our awareness to that, to that which is joyful or that which we could be grateful about. It's a good day, it's a good way to start the day, to kind of challenge yourself every morning. Okay, three things I can enjoy in my immediate experience. That does not mean that you deny the difficult stuff which is also happening. So it is not like an escape or it's not positive thinking, it's just uh, shifting your attention to something which is also there, always. So in this first meditation, we will start by settling, connecting, appreciating aliveness. And then we will do the mental bonding process, like yesterday. also uh, reflecting a bit our intention. So reflecting why, why are you here? And, and finding that within yourself. What is your, what is your deepest longing? What, why do you come? Yes, and then we will start to look at the text. So I invite you to become aware of your posture, 
Maybe you can straighten up a bit without being tense. So you sit with, with some dignity, like a Buddha. If you like, you can close your eyes. If you keep them open, then you leave the gaze relaxed. Notice what happens when you start to pay a bit more attention to your own energy, to your own presence. That does not mean that your mind becomes narrow, so your mind stays open. But there is a little, a bit of sliding into the body. As a morning welcome, welcome, as a morning welcome, welcoming yourself. could slide on the in-breath if that supports you, sliding into your body, even down into your feet, appreciating how the chair and the floor carries you. And you do that with as much warmth and kindness as possible. Everything is included, also that which is not so great. And then with the out breath. There's a quality of letting go. And here you let go of the control freak, of the perfectionist, of trying to get somewhere. You find yourself more and more relating to what is actually happening in this moment. of the sky and the freshness of the morning. And of course thoughts continue to arise in the same way the trams are coming and going. There's space for that. but you don't emphasize them as much.
balance your belly. Your shoulders. Maybe you can relax your face, soften your face, particularly around the eyebrows and the chewing muscles. And notice when a certain area of your body softens that the whole body responds. your body, your mind is open like the sky. Everything can just come and go. If you Notice that you grasp for something which you don't have. You relax that grasping. And if you notice that you try to get rid of something, you relax that grasping, like a fist opening. If you find yourself entangled in your thinking, you drop back into the felt sense of your body. It doesn't matter so much where, but the hands or the belly is a good place. Notice how your experience becomes a bit more transparent, a bit more spacious. A bit more dreamlike.
returning, returning and resting, giving yourself the permission to do nothing. And then, even if there's still things coming and going, the breath and sensations, sounds and your thoughts, feelings, maybe you can also appreciate that there's stillness happening, that peace is also happening, surrounding, underlying and pervading your experience. A spacious presence which arises when we sit quietly together, protected by the teachings of the Buddha. Then if it makes sense to you, you call upon the presence of, of a mentor, a benefactor. And he or she is arising in front of you like the great eastern morning sun. Dispelling the darkness of night. smile, the loving gaze, the healing light, and with him or her the presence of all the teachings which benefit you, which are inspiring for you. Allow the whole body be being bathed in compassionate presence.
there's something within you which needs loving attention, bring this into the loving space. Not doing anything, not trying to fix or control, just bring it into the light. into the loving gaze. Which in the same time recognize that everything is empty. And then your mentor, your benefactress, or if there's a few, they dissolve into light, and that light enters your body at the heart level. You become aware of the light inside, the wisdom light, the source of warmth, intelligence, the Buddha inside. from that light at the core of your being, light rays go out and fill your whole body with warmth, kindness and healing. starts to radiate out into your world, compassionate presence.
you are the light. You don't need to seek it, you don't need to get it somewhere, you are the light. Then at the end of this meditation, I invite you to set an intention to kindle this light, to make it grow. To use your life to wake up and to grow up for the benefit of all. That's why we are here. Today we will turn to the text, to the seventh chapter. I forgot to remind you yesterday to print the text out, but uh, it is um, on the fa in the Facebook group, both in the Lamrim group and also in the in the group of the center. It's quite good to have the text. Uh, 
and I will not uh, cover all the verses. So um, you could print the text, the verses out at least for tomorrow. Let's remember that it's a text written in the, or spoken in the, in the seventh century by Master Shantideva. And Master Shantideva comes from a royal family. He is, a, he, he belongs to the warrior class. So, and you can recognize that also in his language. So reading this text is also a bit about connecting with the archetype of the warrior or someone who likes to take on challenge and someone who does not give up. And this is kind of sometimes this language, sometimes maybe a bit too intense for us. Then Shandideva also uses um, both the carrot and the stick. I dropped quite a lot of the stick verses, but I can't just ignore them completely, obviously. But we have to be careful with that. And we have to find a way to handle, handle that in a good way. She also uses the metaphor of hell. And that's also difficult for us because we connect with that a kind of Christian punishment or something like that. But uh, these are metaphors of, ex of, of, uh, of describing experiences we all know. Because if we continue to act in unwholesome ways, we end up in hell, in a hellish experience. Because everything we do and say and think has consequences. And it's kind, it can be like a spiral of oh, uh, continuing un, unwholesome ways of thinking, unwholesome ways of relating to our feelings, unwholesome ways to relate to other people, unwholesome ways to relate to the challenging aspects of human life. And so we, it, it, go, it goes like a, it's a downward spiral and, and hell is not a place where we go. Hell is something we create ourselves through projections. And more and more we believe our projections, more, more and more we become prisoner of our, own, of our own habits, of our own ways to look at things. So that is hell. And you know, if he describes how you know we burn in hell, that's the burning of anger. So it's it's uh, important uh, to uh, look at texts like this more like poems, like a poet, an artist who shares his own experiences through metaphors, which come obviously from his time and from his conditioning and from his values. 
Shantideva was a monk. So that's also good to have that in mind. He, he actually left the monastery after he had delivered this, this teaching and became wild. But he was still, the teaching <coughs> was delivered to monks, Indian monks, in the 7th century. So completely different psychic structure that could handle things in a very different way. One of the reasons they could handle things in a different way because they had a deep experience of past and, previous, uh, past and future lives, so they have a long perspective. There's no rush. What you, do, what you can't do now, you do next time. And also, they handle things differently because they have a strong experience of Buddha nature, of that indestructible goodness in all of us. And the, the clouds, that what our protection, which, which prevents us experiencing our own goodness, they clearly experience that as adventitious, as transitory. So it was not such a big deal for them, as it, as it is for us. For us, everything is so important, so serious. And, and we identify with what arises in the content of our experience. We, we feel, this is who I am. So it's, it's really, uh, the, the audience was very different than kind of uh, neurotic, scared Westerners. <laughs> so we, ha we have to keep that in mind. We also have to keep in mind that uh, the whole text is about bodhicitta, awakening the heart. And we have to keep in mind that the text is about the six far-reaching attitudes of a bodhisattva. So it's like a, um, no, so the seventh chapter is a part of a whole of a whole package. And it's obvious that the other five far-reaching uh, attitudes they are part of cultivating joy, of awakening joy. For example, the first one, patience. Obviously, we need to work with patience. You know, patience towards difficult people, patience with difficult situation, patience with discomfort. So it's part of this. Then the second one, generosity. One of the major sources for joy in our life is to be generous. It's amazing how quickly that works. So if you come here and you prepare the room for people, you will experience joy because you do something for others. It's like it's hardwired in our nervous system as social beings that it makes us happy to be generous. And it's easy to forget that. One of the 
wonderful things we can do to experience joy is to uh, to allow a random act of kindness to appear in our behavior and nobody knows about that it can make your day and it can it's like a little thing just five krona krona five krona much better than the, the latter which lasts only the way from here to there <laughs> and then it's gone <laughs> but five krona giving at the right moment nobody knows nobody sees except the person who receives the gift that can uh, resonate into your whole day so that's generosity uh, then morality it came up yesterday a bit so the, the, the aligning yourself with, with what is, you know, aligning yourself with your values, the joy of that, just the joy of being a decent person. So that's, and with morality we also look into the, what I mentioned yesterday, the, the, the healing power of confession, admitting, the healing power of admitting that I screwed up and it is painful and it has consequences. So that's you know, the far-reaching attitude of morality. And then you have the force is joyful effort and then you have meditation, the fifth. Yeah, so that's the next chapter. The next chapter is about the far-reaching attitude of meditation. And yesterday I, I mentioned the importance of stable attention within that, connected with joy. And then obviously the sixth, the sixth far-reaching attitude, wisdom. So the wisdom, the wisdom, seeing the insubstantiality of things, that things don't exist as in the way they appear to you that it's not so important what is happening to you. It seems incredible important. It's not important. Or and, and let's see, let's say it's not that important as you think. It's made up. It's a projection. You live in your own projections. You live in your own dream. And then we take it so serious. So to, to experience really deep joy, uh, we need to bring wisdom into our gaze, into the way we look at what is happening within us and what is happening around us. That's also where courage then comes from, because you realize since nothing exists solidly in, in and out of itself, like fixed, you can make really a difference. If this would be a real world out there, made for matter, I mean, of course, then we would try to milk as much as pleasure out of every moment, and that's it. Because we, we wouldn't be able to do anything. But since things don't exist like that, every thought you have, every word you speak, every action matters, and has far bigger consequences than we imagine. 
know, every kind, every soft movement in your heart is not just a little thing happening in your chest. It's happening in your universe. And it has amazing, you know, it's like waves vibrating into infinity. So wisdom is very important in this. So when we go through the verses, some of the verses, uh, they might uh, they might inspire you. So it's it makes sense sometimes to just take two or three out of a chapter and chew on them, you know? write them down, uh, put them somewhere where you can see them every day, or just a line sometimes. There's like powerful lines, which, uh, which then you can, uh, you can uh, uh, focus on. And then there will be other verses which will trigger something, resistance, uh, or you know, some, some other feelings, and that's also interesting. So we are not only interested in what is uplifting us and inspiring us, equally interesting is the things which you struggle with and which you kind of feel, wow, this is, you know, this, what's this, what is this about, what, yeah. so you're, there's this curiosity, what a text does with you, uh, and this is including every, every kind of response you have, inner response, so this is, uh, these texts, that you read them as a spiritual practice, not as a way to get knowledge, it's a spiritual practice of self-discovery. You, you, you start a relation with the text. Uh, one way how uh, in the Buddhist tradition these texts are looked at is that they are a, a manif manifestation of your own Buddha nature. It's like your Buddha nature uh, communicating with you. So it's like you, uh, by, by entering a text like that, you, in, you enter your inner world. And it's, it's your wisdom talking to you. It's the Buddha activity, which is, I mean, the Buddha activity is not something from outside Buddhas, it's the activity of your own inner wisdom. And these texts are one way how Buddha nature how the wisdom in this universe communicates with you. So you don't see it as, you know, like an outside book which someone else has written, but as something uh, which makes it possible for you to connect with the depth of your own being. This is also a text you have to read again and again. It's like, uh, it's not like, okay, now I read it. Then it will not transform you. What transforms you is a persistent uh, chewing on, on a text like this. You know, the Tibetans, they memorize these texts. 
it's amazing how they can do this. I mean, they don't, they not only rem, uh, memorize this one text, they, they memorize, I don't know how many, but uh, some of the geishas, they have memorized hundreds of texts. So maybe we can memorize one line. <laughs> but then you do it. So when you have a text like that, it helps to appreciate that text, to value it, to, to, uh, to see it as something sacred. Like to put it on the altar, to put it in a nice piece of cloth, not to put it with all the other books. Uh, to, uh, and that's, that's just uh, a way for you to uh, make it more sacred for you. You make it so, so more sacred by handling it in a different way. You know, in some traditions, these, these texts, like the Bible, or they are like, uh, they are put in beautiful formats, and they, put, they are put in places, and in shrines, and they make processions. Uh, uh, and it's, it, it, sometimes it can look quite superstitious from outside, but if you understand that it is a mind training for your benefit, then you might find your own ways uh, to, to honor a text like this. Okay, so first one. Thus, with patience, I will bravely persevere to seal it is that I shall reach enlightenment. If no wind blows, then nothing stirs, and neither is there merit without perseverance. If no wind blows, then nothing stirs. So that you also have this bravely. Yeah? So that's, that's the warrior. Yeah? Be brave. Go to the places which scare you. Touch that that which you found re repulsive. Be brave. Don't be a chicken. Take your sword and master it. You need a sword. <coughs> I, I don't know if it's because of, I don't know if it's a male thing, but the archetype of a warrior completely speaks to me. <laughs> I know exactly what it is. You know, when I was a teenager, I, I trained in fencing, and I had this uh, master. He was a Hungarian cavalry soldier who had fight, fought in the Second World War. They were riding on their horses with a sword into the German tanks. And uh, 
he was he was kind of my, my first guru. Yeah? <laughs> and he was like for hours, you know. I mean for hours he was uh, training me. One to one. I, I, I'm attacking him and he was like just boop 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 <laughs> <laughs> but then when I had a good fight and he was patting my shoulders wow that felt so good so that's uh, this persevere yeah? it's also oh, probably you have Saw, the, saw this His Holiness quote, you know, never give up. That's like this, never give up. You fall, you get up. You fall, you get up. Sometimes you lay, lay a while. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fine, but you get up. And, and of course, n not to give up and being able to fall and learning from the falling uh, and knowing that that's the way we learn, making mistakes, falling. Uh, we need to have the six far-reaching attitudes. Seal is, a, is another word of, for, uh, uh, for joyous effort this seal, this uh, delighting in wholesome ways, delighting in being challenged, delighting in growing, yeah, de delighting in expansion, becoming bigger, delighting in loving more, not less. So if no wind blows, then nothing stirs. So that's like the, the moving forward into the unknown. So if you move forward, blown by the wind of bodhicitta, blown, of, uh, blown by, the, by the wind of the six far-reaching attitudes, what you will meet is fear. We always meet fear when we are on the right track. And if you listen to your fear, you become smaller. You end up in your bed in the end. So one of the important uh, things with, uh, on the path of the warrior is uh, you commit to your fear. You get to know your fear. You get to like it almost. And you see it as the right you know, you see it as a good sign. It's like, wow, I'm afraid. That's good. Because that, that means I'm expanding myself. I'm going into the unknown. I'm doing something which I have not done before. And there's always fear. If you're an artist, if you put something out there, there will be always fear. You will always feel, ah, oh, it's not good enough. I do it tomorrow. No, I'm not. 
I, I can't meditate today, I'm too tired. So, so, so there's, there's, there's fear. And fear is a good sign. And there's no, there's no awakening without committing to your fear. And, and relaxing the fear of the fear. Because it's the fear of the fear which is the real problem. Because the fear of the fear then starts to shape what you do. So you don't, you don't put out that poem. You don't sing that song. You don't approach that person. You don't express your feeling. Because the fear keeps you back. So it's like a counter-instinctual move. Your instinct says, oh, there's fear, run. The warrior says, oh, there's fear, go towards. That's, that's the direction. And, of course, and this is an important theme, even for Shantideva, we need to be balanced in that. We need to be reasonable in that. Yeah? So there's other verses where... So there's no point in being very courageous and then break down because you have put too much onto your plate. So very clearly there's verses about going step by step. No, like a child discovering the world. No? Three steps and then she looks back to mother. Is it still safe? Yeah, yeah. Go. Yeah. And then you have to leave your you have to let your child go, knowing that it is going to be hurt. So if you, if you protect your child too much, it's not going to grow. You, you need to find the right balance between the challenging the child and making sure it's not going to, or at, 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 as best as you can, it's not going to break. Overprotection is not good. It's not compassion at all. So the same way we can handle ourselves. So not too much. Don't exhaust yourself. Go as far as there's discomfort, but you don't, you don't push over the edge. And sometimes you push over the edge, then you fall, okay, then you have learned something. The biggest risk is not to take the risk. It is risky. I mean, it's very risky. A serious meditation is risky, but, but it's more dangerous not to take that risk. So, there's, and neither is there merit. Merit is a bit of a difficult word, because it's like, so we don't know what, what do they mean when, when they say merit. Yeah, it's like, and kind of superstitious Buddhists, they feel it's like something they get, it's like a merit account, you know? You, you fill a water ball, a point in the merit account, yeah? It's, it's not like that. It's, uh, and then there's this, you can become quite materialistic uh, in wanting to accumulate merit, you know? It's like in the Chinese Buddhist tradition, it's, it's terrible. You know, that's what they are after, merit. Uh, so, uh, neither is the merit. Merit is vitality. Merit is a positive potential. It's positive energy. 
It's uplifting your spirit, up uplifting your, uh, your energy. And without perseverance, without seal, without joyous effort, you will not, you will not, uh, you, you, you will not uh, there, there will be not that kind of joy, the joy of living a meaningful life, the joy of growing, the joy of self-knowledge, the joy of doing something for others. So that's merit. What also this uh, uh, this first is pointing to this uh, warrior idea that you can use everything. Everything is workable. So we are not talking about you know ideal situations here and 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 being healthy and you know everything is running smooth. So we have the attitude of the warrior. Uh, that everything is workable. Everything is, uh, you know, everything can be transformed into gold. Everything, everything which is happening, whatever it is, the difficult people in your life, the difficult feelings, the breakdown, the breakdowns, the, uh, the losses, the, all the things we wish wouldn't happen, we, we look at them as workable. That's our battlefield. So this is a, this is kind of a, a warrior slogan. Yeah? So everything is workable. Let's assume that. And then we could ask, okay, how? So, what? How can I? How can I through lojong, mind transformation, attitude transformation? How can I look at this in a different way? What? How can I expand in this situation? What is there here to learn from this? And you will all, and more you listen to the teachings, more answers you will get to the to this question: How? If you come to that place that you that you know, I mean, in in the in the beginning it's maybe like a, a trust, but when you start to know that it is true that everything is workable, even your own death. Every difficult situation, every difficult emotion is workable. That's, so in the beginning it's like an assumption, but slowly, slowly through your life you start to, you start to experience this is really true. And looking back at your life, it's probably, you can see how you know, the periods where you were in darkness, which were very difficult, they are really they added to your life they they were maybe the times where you learned the most about the human condition so everything is workable that also means you never give up and you have a long perspective so it's not about succeeding in the battle it's getting up, fighting. 
fighting here not in the sense of violence, yeah, but fighting in the sense of uh, taking on the challenge and transforming that what is happening in, into something that you, that you see the meaning in it. If you are in crisis, it's not a waste of, of time at all. If you have a burnout, if you have a depression, anxiety, it's not a waste of time at all. It's a waste of time often to be productive. That's often a, a, a waste of time. So this is one of the three lazinesses, is, the, is uh, being busy. We will come to that. Being busy with being busy with being successful. Of course, also being successful can be transformed into something beautiful and wonderful and useful for the waking up and growing up process. But in general, the busyness in our times <coughs> is, not, uh, is not wholesome at all. It's a waste of time, it depletes our resources, it destroys the planet. Oh, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. So better it is maybe to have a crisis, <laughs> have little money, yeah? You can't, you can't buy so many things, you have to get rid of your car, that's a good thing. Yeah? You become modest, yeah. humble. Because you, you, you start to see, wow, I'm, I'm one of the, I'm, 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 I'm the one, I'm one of the broken ones. Like, every, like almost everyone else, I'm one of the broken ones. That, that's very humbling. So, in verse 2, you can inter interrupt me when, when you have a spontaneous question, but there will be also a time for discussion after the break. So first two, heroic, her heroic perseverance. I'm not sure how to pronounce this. Perseverance? Perseverance. So this is, I don't know how this is like, if, if how this sounds in, in your ears, heroic, yeah? It's the warrior language. It's the archetype of the the, the hero. Yeah? So uh, there is the um, the work of Joseph Campbell, and he describes the journey of the hero. Yeah? So that's that's the archetype of the Bodhisattva, the journey of the hero. Means the light in in virtue. So that's like a short definition of what joyous effort is. It, it, it means delighting in virtue. So virtue here is wholesome ways. Wholesome ways for yourself and others. And you delight in that. So delighting in generosity. Delighting when you take care of yourself. Delighting when you, when you dare to set boundaries. Delighting when you speak your mind. So you know that you're going to be criticized, 
you know you know you know that you're going that some people will not like you that they will judge you and you sing your song anyway you say what you what you have to say that's the lighting in virtue and it feels horrible also but there is this pride this healthy sense of pride i'm cut into pieces but i made my mind <laughs> I, i i speak i i spoke out it's very painful for us to be cut into pieces as social beings but the pride in it is overweights the discomfort if you speak your mind you will be cut into pieces take take it as a good sign people will criticize you even if you're quiet if if you never speak your mind you will but, be cut to pieces as well so <laughs> yeah but being quiet can be your song can be your way of being mm. so uh, it's a beautiful way of uh, communicating what you have to communicate mm. to be quiet yeah. and it's true you will be criticized for it mm. and people will judge you and you will your and you will judge yourself for being quiet but that's just your energy it would be horrible if there would be only extrovert people we need to, so there there needs to be a, a a confidence and a pride in those people who are quiet it's it's hard to be an introvert in an extrovert culture where extroversion is such a value so like taking your time and you know thinking a lot and you know not you know not not being like this it, it's quite it's it's a lifetime journey to make peace with that for yourself okay i'm 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 like that i'm introvert and to be to be proud of that so this is like so when i talk about the warrior it's really i mean the quiet person who confidently is quiet is a warrior it has nothing to do with no it's it's about your it's it's how you share what you share it's not copying someone else it's not copying an extrovert person if you're an introvert person so the 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 contrary is laziness the, the i mean the 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 contrary to joyous effort is laziness <coughs> its contrary may be defined as laziness an inclination for unwholesome ways despondency and self-contempt so an incl- inclination for wholesome ways covers two kinds of of laziness yeah so there's three kinds of laziness or that's like one category there's much more but you know it's good to talk about three because that's about what we can remember you know? so that's why everything often is put into three so there's the the laziness coming from 
from how to how to say it. The laziness coming from from putting comfort first. The laziness from, from putting comfort first. So it's this attachment to comfort, comfort-driven, comfort-drivenness. So instead of picking up your sword, you stay in bed because it's, a, it's cozy, it's warm. So the comfort-drivenness, is, and this is so strong in our culture. We, we, we became so, I don't know how to put it, without being contentful. <laughs> I mean, we are like the princess on the pea. And, and in our culture, it's like we are brainwashed into that, that it's bad to experience discomfort. So we get, we get pills and, uh, you know, oh, there's, there's something, let's take a pill. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, I, I'm not saying sometimes it's the, more, the kindest thing to take medication, of course, yeah. I'm just uh, making this point that uh, the tolerance towards discomfort is decreasing. And then over-protecting parents. They they don't help in that. You need to push, you you need to throw your son into the cold water. Yeah. I don't know if this is uh, uh, in Sweden like this, but in Denmark, it's a kind of thing that parents they put their little babies outside in in their in the in the pram. Yeah, like there's the courtyards in Copenhagen, and it's quite common that. Uh, there's like three or four prams out there with yeah. babies inside. Yeah? Yeah. Yes. In the cold, in the winter, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Or when, when mothers meet in a coffee shop, it's, you see it quite often, they leave the pram outside. Yeah? Or, I mean, if it's, a, if it's not by a street. And then and it's like they think it's good. It must be a Viking thing. <laughs> like it's good to keep the baby in the cold. Yeah? I mean, they are, of course. Well. So... And uh, I, I read in a, in a news in a newspaper uh, it, uh, there was a uh, Danish couple in the United States who did the same, and they got sued. <laughs> <laughs> they got sued for 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 doing that. So uh, th- this this comfort seeking that's the first laziness, and the comfort seeking is. Uh, like this, uh, this, yeah. I mean, you know, like for example, if you if you want to run, so probably almost everyone here battled with that at one point. You know, it's good to running, 
So if you're a comfort seeker, you're not going to do it. Because then, then you will prefer to not go through the discomfort of running, but you would seek the comfort of watching Netflix instead. So on the other hand, of course, in this verses about that, part of the warrior's uh, trait is also how to learn rest, to learn to rest when it's appropriate. So this does not mean that we become like we push and push and push. Yeah. So the to find the right balance between healthy rest, but also going out there, even if it's cold, putting on your shoes and starting to run. So there is. Uh, so how to how to nurture. Um, and strengthen that seal of putting on your shoes and go out because you know this is good for me. It's delighting in wholesome ways. Putting on your shoes, your running shoes and going out is uh, delighting in wholesome ways. Staying inside, uh, if it's not wholesome rest, might be uh, the laziness of comfort drivenness. The same is true for meditation. So if your meditation project is a comfort-seeking project, forget it. It's, uh, I mean, there is some benefits in relaxation, of course, but you are not a, a meditator yet if, if your meditation project is about feeling good and then avoiding meditation because it's not feeling good. Difficult in meditation is good. Discomfort in meditation is good. And uh, if, you, if your meditation practice, your spiritual practice is comfort driven, you will be very frustrated. You will be constantly feeling, oh, something is wrong, I can't meditate, I don't feel good. Or after a meditation, you will feel, wow, that felt horrible. That was not a good meditation. But, but that's a complete misunderstanding of meditation. If you were very clear about that it was feeling horrible, that you were feeling horrible, it was a good meditation. Because you were very clear about it. You were curious about it. You extended your cap capacity to love the discomfort, to be with it, to explore it. That it was a good meditation. So watch out for that. It's, of course, it's, a, it's, it's like normal. It's, it's in a way, to a certain extent, it's also appropriate to seek for comfort. But that's not spiritual practice. I would, I would, I think, rather, rather drink a Carlsberg. <laughs> than comfort seeking in meditation, because Carlsberg is more reliable. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it always works. Yeah. Meditation in that sense is not very reliable as comfort seeker. So that's the, the first kind of laziness, coming to comfort seeking. So what is important here when we, when we listen to, this, uh, to these instructions, that we don't use it to judge ourselves. So maybe now when I said, you know, thoughts would arise, wow, yeah, I'm such a comfort seeker. It's horrible. Well, when you start to notice this pattern of comfort seeking, that you judge it. So there, there again, the kindness and gentleness. So the comfort seeker in you, you need to love her to death. Love her to death. Not judge her to death. Or reject her. So this is really a problem that... Uh, you're sitting here and writing. Uh, that's not the problem. But, uh, so you're sitting, but there's another person writing in, in, in the subconscious. No, it's not a person, it's a whole team. It's the team, of, it's the team of the inner judges. And they write everything down. And they remember everything much better than, than you. <laughs> And they will, they will use a lot of these teachings in their big book. And, worse even, uh, <coughs> because the inner judge is very much connected with the judging other people. So you will judge so-called laziness in other people. So one, one, one way to figure out that you have a problem there is if you, are, if you have some lazy people in your life, which you point your finger at. So that says a lot about that there's some, some lack of kindness towards your own laziness. And humor. Laugh about it. I hear again. I don't put up my shoes. I, put, I don't put on my shoes, I prefer to watch Netflix. So as I quoted Suzuki Roshi yesterday, since this is so important, better we don't take it serious. This is so important, we, we better don't take it serious. So then, the second, uh, the second way, uh, the, the inclination uh, for whole unwholesome ways, so there's the uh, comfort-drivenness, and the second is the busyness-drivenness, being busy. And that's, uh, that's difficult to get around that, because busyness is such a value. It's good when someone says, how are you, how is it going, to say, I'm really busy. What are you going to do next weekend? Oh, I'm really busy, I have a lot of things, I'm really busy. 
it's very embarrassing to say, I have nothing. I have nothing to do. I have not a waiting list of clients. No, I'm not busy. It's very difficult in our culture. We, we, we need to pretend that we are busy. And if we are not busy, then we hide it or we feel bad about ourselves. We lost the art of uh, sitting, sitting in, uh, uh, with a candle and a fire in our house and knitting and drinking tea. That's what you did yeah, in the evening. Now we need to be busy. And a lot of our busyness is uh, trying to escape. And uh, a challenge in that is our busyness exhausts ourselves. But instead of slowing down, we become more busy. More busy, more busy, and then we burn down because we we don't do the healthy thing, the wholesome thing, and that is to slow down, to look after ourselves, to nurture ourselves, to do things which are good for us. And we can be busy all the time because we are we have the social networks, we we have entertainment, we have. We can be busy all the time. Sometimes I feel like the, the only excuse for not taking on more uh, what others expect and want you to do is to tell, I am busy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. And I don't like that's that. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Mm. Because they won't understand and the, yeah. <laughs> the situation, my situation, yeah. other yeah. situation. Maybe you need some rest. Yeah. Uh, yes. We will talk about the need for rest. To keep and, this mm, joy in mm, your life. Yes. Not just run uh, yeah. here and there. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And it's such a pressure sometimes. Yes. It's really difficult to, to yeah. keep going my pace. Your pace. Yeah. My snipe pace. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The busyness is also something which prevents us to meditate. Because meditation is a bit of a long-term project which, which not necessarily gives immediate results. Uh, or at least results which you can uh, kind of show off with. Yeah? Uh, so it's not like everyone says, oh, you're so peaceful today, that's so wonderful, and you look so beautiful, you must have meditated. It's not like that. <laughs> yeah. So it's more long-term, it's a long-term project. And then, of course, in our times, it's very easy to... to, to uh, uh, because there's so many things to do, <coughs> things we can do instead. And then, with our pleasure-drivenness, we go for the short-term pleasure. <coughs> instead of for a long-term wholesome development in our life. So it's, uh, it's very easy to cut down uh, the, un the kind of... Sometimes you can see meditation as a bit unproductive, and then you, you drop it. So, and then the third um, 
kind of laziness is uh, the dependency and self-content. Yeah? The, the despondency and self-content.